1: welcome back to the working on purpose program thanks for tuning in again this week i'm your host dr elise cortez joining you live from dallas texas which is home base for me great to have you if you don't know me yet i'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose organizational logotherapist inspirational speaker social scientist and author my team and i help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through culture and operations we work with forward thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Melanie Pump. She's the author of Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. She is also the Chief Financial Officer of Brain Capital, a trusted independent partner for digital asset custody. Today, we'll be talking about the problem of toxicity in the workplace, how toxicity in, impacts organizational performance, and what leaders can do to create a psychologically safe workplace. Melanie joins us today from Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. Melanie, welcome to Working On Purpose. Hello, thanks so much for having me. You're so welcome, I'm so happy to know you. We had to reschedule around some of some COVID matters, and you were so worth the wait. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for rescheduling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start this conversation talking about where your book actually came from. Um, Your own experience, of course, the best teacher that we could possibly have, and you talk about in the book how you started, you know, really living on the streets in your teens, you got into drugs, your first employer was really supportive of you going to get a bachelor's program, then other employers along your way towards your CCD experience were not so supportive. So say a little bit more about, you know, just where this book came from and why you felt like you needed to write it.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah so now, now my childhood comes into it in, in two places there um, my family actually went bankrupt when I was very young and and that's where it sort of sent off into turmoil and how I ended up um, in that lifestyle for a short period of time but during that time I felt deep insecurity as one would when they didn't didn't have a home and weren't sure what direction their life was going to go uh, you know fortunately um, I I woke up and I realized that I had the power to make change in my life and I uh, managed to get a job actually working working as a receptionist in an environmental engineering firm. And honestly, really by luck, I, I fell into an environment where there were really supportive leaders who saw the potential in me, even though at that point I didn't even have my high school graduation. Um, I didn't know what direction I wanted to go, but they thought they saw that I was smart and they helped me build my confidence and go back to school ultimately to get my bachelor's degree and my accounting designation, which is what led me on this path to become a CFO. So there's two things that I really saw there. For One, I I can really identify when people do feel insecure in the workplace because I understand it. Um, But I also really see the power of a healthy work environment because I could still be at that receptionist desk if I had fallen into a work environment that was actually toxic that didn't help me build that confidence. And that really changed my life. And then seeing later the contrast of these unhealthy workplaces and how it keeps people hiding within themselves, um is part of what you know lit the lit the passion to write this book and and uh, put my message out there.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, in the work that I get to do, Melody, I have a, a I've developed a sense of being able to really quickly spot, you know, people's superpowers. And you clearly have a sensitivity intelligence as well that, that was probably incredibly refined you know, and molded in your personal experiences. Right. You just have this ability to 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 sense things on a really deep level, both for, for the good stuff as well as the bad stuff.
2: Yeah, I think there's some real truth in that because especially if you if you you grow up in some threatening environments, you learn to be attuned to what's happening around you and what's happening in the people around you. So I, you know, I would like to think I've taken that and turned it into some good because it's made me more perceptive in my work environments and, and also to really understand what what my employees need as well to be a more empathetic leader.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Part of the gift of life, however it serves it up to us, right? right? Exactly. How, how we can uniquely, uniquely see things. So one of the things that you do in your book, which I really appreciate, and as you know, of course, I read your book cover to cover, as I do for all my guests, that's Thank your you. part of my learning journey, um, is you've got a very specific um, distinction in how you define insecurity that I think is, is interesting here. Um, w- would you speak to that? Um, I, I think that it, it, it's compelling how you how you Yeah, do you
2: want me to uh, read that definition? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I defined it. So my definition of insecurity is a feeling of danger or vulnerability, a feeling that our mental or physical state is at risk, and the feeling may be rooted in a lack of confidence in our abilities, uncertainty about our future, or the perception of threats in our environment. And I, I chose to put it that way because I think it's actually important to draw the uh, comparison between feeling physically insecure and feeling um, mentally or psychologically insecure, or psychologically unsafe, because there really are similarities in the way that we, that we re- react, like we will um, stand back both um, physically and, and mentally if we feel that we're in, if the environment is insecure and we feel at risk. So I, I do try to point that out a few times in my book is that uh, there are real comparisons, and we can't always control if we feel unsafe whether it's mentally or physically we'll react with defense mechanisms
1: mm-hmm the listeners and viewers as you're as you're listening to this conversation I want you to pay attention to really what she is it she's she's adding distinction to because I think that many people don't recognize that one they are in a toxic environment or two that they as a leader are actually contributing to a toxic environment so Pay, pay attention to how she starts to distinguish this stuff. It's pretty, pretty fascinating thing. So the next thing that you talk about that I think is really interesting since right now we're talking about the problem of toxic work environments, so really distinguishing that for our listeners mm-hmm. and viewers. You say a toxic work environment is not, not damaging to employees alone. You say you passionately believe that as it stands, many corporate leaders are doing a disservice to employees, businesses, and investors by tolerating harmful conduct in the workplace and accepting unhealthy work environments.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and this comes from having seen in work environments that um, leaders too often accept behaviors that are actually damaging and create toxicity in the workplace. And where I've seen this most often occur is where, it let's say, it's a high, it's a high performer. So, it's somebody that is perceived as adding value to the organization. So, mm-hmm. it's sort of let go that they're that they're alt that they're damaging their coworkers or creating toxicity in the environment. Or it can be in an organization that is actually doing well financially and maybe even beating their targets so it gets overlooked that there's this toxicity in the environment but but what is what is not being seen is that employees all of your employees won't won't reach their full potential if if an environment is toxic so even if you have one high performer who is doing really well everybody around them isn't reaching their full potential and you may actually be losing some other high performers who don't want to work in that kind of toxic work environment so really no matter how high somebody's performance is, performances it's not worth the impact that they have broadly across the organization
1: i have been brought in organizations many times because there's a problem child and you know let's bring in the consultant to to relay the message because oftentimes the, the, the leadership team doesn't feel capable of doing that or is afraid of that person right yes. and it's just it's a it's really it's really a problem and to your point um it, it needs to be addressed so you're not running off you know, perfectly other great talent or, or for customers for that matter
2: right and or damaging the reputation of the business as well so you don't even get the opportunity to hire other really high performers that you would love to have on your team but
1: they don't apply mm-hmm. because they've heard about the environment Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. And so then that also then speaks to the next thing that is important to talk about is, you know, this just comes right into it, as you say, when people are afraid to speak up, maybe they're around somebody who's toxic like this, they feel insecure, of course, mm-hmm. issues are not addressed, right? So the real stuff doesn't actually come to the surface and the real opportunities, the real problems don't really get, get, get addressed. And you say that some of the consequences of this are lower productivity, lack of innovation, limited succession planning, limited collaboration, lost opportunities, reduced awareness of organizational issues. So, you know, there's just so much, there's so many things that are problematic with a toxic environment. And I love that we're here helping our our leaders, especially during the great resignation, when people are fleeing out the doors, there's probably some things going on there that are contributing to that, not just better jobs around the corner.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, it really does seem like the the pandemic has given people an opportunity to take a look at, at what was working in their life before and what isn't, and some don't want to go back to potentially environments that were toxic. But as you say, it has broad impacts across the organization. Um, you know, innovation is so important in having a successful business today. And if you have an environment where people are afraid to throw out ideas or ask questions, um, that's really going to stunt uh, the growth and innovation of the business.
1: No question. I've seen it many, many times. In my 25 years that I've worked in the human capital space, um, I have seen it many times over. When you walk into an organization, you can feel that fear. Oh, right? absolutely, it's just yeah. the people are standing, they're, they're, str- they're rigid in their postures and they're literally clenching their lips. You can see it. It's all right there.
2: Exactly. And, and not interacting. I've had the exact same experience. If you walk through a, an office that has a toxic work environment, people don't greet you. They avoid making eye contact. That's a very, very real thing. And often people don't even know they're doing it. This is one of the instinctive reactions to protect ourselves when we feel insecure in the workplace. We start to limit our social interaction and we just don't engage
1: yeah and you know of course, one of the things that I find really interesting in the in the work that that I do is that you know I do work with some really strong personalities. these people got to where they are because they have some some strength and some stamina some resilience you know and and a lot of them when they founded companies you know that's just not for the faint of heart and they they don't know how sometimes to move that energy else you know to a, to a different tenor if you will with people and and i I work with this all the time so uh, and you've experienced first, you, it, firsthand, for, for from your own experience, and of course, I know in, in your various leadership positions, you've cycled through other companies that it was present for you too.
2: Yeah, certainly and and although there is something between having a strong personality um and and being toxic like you know leaders can learn to balance that, um and uh, and to be to be strong and and be a powerful leader uh, but do it without without diminishing others um uh, there, there's okay. definitely a way that, uh, that that those can live together.
1: Yeah, and at least one component of that of course is adding you know at least some semblance of a layer of emotional intelligence, right? So uh, okay. Of course, yeah. Right.
2: Understanding your impact because I think many leaders don't uh, right. I don't realize the impact that it has if they have an outburst or or uh, speak really negatively to their teams. Right, when you're the
1: big guy or gal on stage, you know you're words carry a really big impact that's why I situated what I said to the listeners the viewers at the beginning is pay attention to this this might be happening in your organization right. and just, you're not aware of it so
2: yeah and you, you've reminded me of you know one thing I do talk about in the book is is, is Jekyll and Hyde and yep. sometimes there's leaders who are 80% percent of the time really really great with their teams and values align and they're supportive but then 10 twenty percent of the time they're unpredictable they fly off the handle mm-hmm. and, and that 10 to 20 percent can actually be more damaging um, than if the person was just uh, in a bad mood all of the time, because when people don't know what to expect from, from their leader, and they know they could be lashed out at any time, that leaves them walking on eggshells. And that's an extremely
1: uncomfortable uh, environment for employees to be in. Yeah, I have been in those environments. It is awful, terrible for your health as well. Uh, and, and, and that gets us to this next bit here, which really I found terribly flooring. You say that you, you share that in a 2019 survey done by Robinson, They found that 90% of the respondents had directly experienced workplace bullying and 39% of those were bullied by a coworker, not a direct boss. Mm -hmm. Bullying is a real problem in the world today.
2: Yeah, it, it really is, and, and I think this is partially also, you know, people not realizing uh, the impacts that they're having. I bet you some people don't even realize that they're bullying their coworkers or they're, you know, being passive aggressive or, or using language that is, um, you know, really is hurtful to people or sh- or shuts them down. Um, I think it happens a, a a lot more
1: than we realize. I think so too. I think so, too. This is so important we're talking about this. Let's grab our first break. It goes by so fast. Mm -hmm. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Melanie Pump, the author of Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. We've been talking about the problem of toxic work environments. After the break, we're going to get into how toxicity impacts organizational performance. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us. Before we get back into the program, I'd like to invite you to check out my book that I brought out in November of 20. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon. I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. Hope you'll check it out. With us today is Melanie Pump. She's the Chief Financial Officer of Brain Capital, a trusted independent partner for digital asset custody, and she's also the author of Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So for this next section here, uh, Melanie, I wanted to talk about, again, how toxicity impacts the organizational performance. As we do, I wanted to get into something that you really distinguished quite nicely. I've never seen this quite, this, done this quite this way that you do, but you say, if we sense a threat that could be psychologically harmed by a, by a person, environment, or situation, we will put up defenses, and often unconsciously, to protect ourselves. These defenses, unfortunately, can themselves be toxic, such as avoidance or passive-aggressive behavior. And you say, in fact, this is how the work environment itself often becomes toxic. Toxicity may begin from only one employee's conduct, but the toxicity spreads throughout the workplace due to the protective behaviors that an initial employee's conduct elicits from others. Everyone in the environment will sense the threats, and feelings of insecurity will increase. That is so powerful to recognize that a singular person in the organization can kick off this whole storm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really been been my experience. You know, as we already touched on earlier, you know, when we feel insecure, our defense mechanisms kick in to protect us. Um, and but often, like one another defense mechanism, actually, which isn't mentioned there, is actually defensiveness in itself. Mm-hmm. If people are in a work environment and they feel insecure, anytime they get feedback, anytime somebody um, comes to give them new information, their natural position is going to be closed and defensive, mm-hmm. um, and that really is going to reduce collaboration, reduce. Um, social interaction across the organization because nobody wants to go and talk to somebody who is defensive um, same thing you know as we mentioned there passive aggressiveness. If we feel insecure, passive aggressiveness is when we're fearful of speaking directly. That's when we yes. use that. So if you're in an environment and you've, um, you know, you've been shamed or hurt when you've thrown out an idea or given an opinion, you're going to stop doing that directly. And instead, you may do something like if you don't support something, an initiative, you may act like you do, but then drag your feet to actually progress it forward or to do the responsibilities you have under that. All of those kind of behaviors can create conflict between coworkers because. They may think somebody is just being lazy when really that person is using a defense mechanism. Um, so all of this can create a kind of toxic soup where people can start thinking negatively about each other when really everybody is just in a protection mode.
1: Mm-hmm. So, again, listeners and viewers, as you're listening to this, if you recognize this in your environment, right, maybe you've got people that are dragging their feet. They said they, you know, they get, get back with you on a response, but maybe they're not. Maybe that's an opportunity to go over there and and see maybe really just in a one-to-one conversation, what's going on here and and in in an opening, inviting way.
2: And and that's, Uh, you know, just another point on that actually is because the other thing that will happen is if people don't know how to do something, um, in that environment, they're also much less likely to speak up and ask for help. uh So again, they may take longer to do things or they may even avoid doing things because they're afraid of doing them because they don't know how and don't want to say. So as you say, if you see somebody in your environment who isn't doing something, something I you expect them to be doing, rather than just assuming it's because they're being lazy, definitely, you know, ask. It may be that they've just never done it before and could really use support, but are afraid to put up their hand and ask for it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so important. It's so, so important. Uh, we, we, we we sort of touched on this in the, in the last segment here, but I wanted to go into more detail on some of these here. Um, you you talk about how when people are are, are afraid to speak up and they feel insecure, that of course, issues aren't addressed. and and so let's talk about how some of those kind of manifest, because this segment is really talking about how it impacts organizational performance. So mm-hmm. um lower productivity, you start to mention that. so people don't know what the, they need to do because they don't feel um, comfortable asking for direction. That's one. How right. else is lower productivity?
2: Uh, well, even you know when we feel insecure, we tend to be di- really distracted because you're focused mm-hmm. on protecting yourself more than you are actually your task. I mean, if you think about it, if you're you've been reading reading something and your mind keeps on getting distracted by the fact that you're worried about your boss coming um, to to shame you or say something or get mad at you, you're going to keep losing focus on that task. Yeah. Um, one of the other things we talk, I talk about here is is the limitation on succession planning, because mm-hmm. for employees to be ready to grow their career and take promotions, uh, they need to have been open to learning and trying new things. And in an environment where people don't feel safe, uh, they're really going to limit that because it's risky putting yourself out there and trying something new.
1: Hmm. Hmm. You also talk about limited collaboration. I suppose if people aren't feeling secure, they're not going to be have the open mind or the heart to work with others as much.
2: Definitely. I mean, the reality is is sometimes people um, can say and do things that hurt us, and if we already feel in an insecure state, we're just going to put up a barrier and limit the interaction uh, so that there's lower risk of, of something happening that's just going to you know you know damage our sense of security even further.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Um, you also talk about um, re- reduce, just reduced awareness of organizational issues, right? So people aren't going to speak up. I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to tell the boss what's going on here. I don't want to get my head chopped off. Absolutely. We learn quickly. If if we've seen, I,
2: whether ourselves or we see somebody else get shut down because they raise a problem, people are just going to stop stop doing it. And that's really damaging to a company. Leaders need to know when something isn't working or if something has failed or mistakes have been made. Um, that can actually, you know, that can end a company in bankruptcy if, if the leader isn't finding out when things are not going well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, this, this next bit here that I want to talk about, I find this really, really fascinating, Melanie. So, you know you're talking about insecurity talks you're talking about insecurity and toxicity so but the insecurity piece i, I thought was fascinating you talk about how it, it can diminish our natural tendencies silencing extroverts and hindering otherwise great communication and collaborators and you say the instinct to is to protect ourselves to protect ourselves can cause us to hide and act in ways that don't reflect who we really are. When we mm-hmm. aren't ourselves and driven by defense mechanisms, working relationships can be damaged or it can be difficult to establish relationships at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, the, this partially comes from my own personal experience. You know, I am naturally an extrovert. I really like interacting with others and, and being part of a team. But when I was in a really highly toxic work environment, I saw myself um, shutting down. I, I wasn't able to be the the, the the same type of leader that I usually was because I went into that protective mode and used my defense mechanisms, and then I started seeing the same thing in those around us. People were just so reluctant to extend themselves um, that people who were who really naturally were great communicators weren't able to use those skills because that their protective instinct was was
1: overpowering it. Mm hmm. So what that, when I translate what you just said there, Melanie, what that says to me is that instead of getting a bright and shiny 100 percent of a person, you get maybe 50 percent or 40 percent. Exactly. 40%, exactly. Right?
2: People will not reach their full potential in, in, in that environment. And the very reason somebody you may think you're hiring somebody, the environment could could diminish that. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. You know, and of course, what do I stand for is championing people to become their highest, best possible selves. And right. I think a great place to do that is at work, right? It's a it's a playground. And so and your, your message is, is just so important and a great tool to be able to help develop, first, gain insight into what's going on in organizations, what to pay attention to, and then, of course, what, how to address that. Um, so you also talk about how high levels of insecurity can elicit conduct that shuts down the the sharing of information right so if if people don't feel safe to share or you create an environment where it's so toxic that you know you kind of need to show your best value in order to to feel like you can keep your job you might you know be doing one-upmanship against your very colleagues that you're trying to collaborate with right
2: exactly because we all you know many of most of us, we need our jobs to look after our families, and so if you sense a danger in an environment, you know it, it can cause people to to be selfish and look out for themselves rather than creating that supportive environment where each coworker is looking out for one another. Um, you know, and the danger of this too is is when you have a, a toxic environment like this, um, people also don't speak up about actually being bullied um, if they if they're fearful um, of reper- of repercussions. A bully may actually be able to go on for a very long time with an organization without it being spoken about and really it can really be detrimental to the company as good employees are going to leave and those who do stay are, are gonna have much lower productivity than if they were in a healthy environment
1: hmm I think it would be helpful at this point Melanie for us to maybe give a little more structure on just what we mean by bullying can, you know talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit more about you know how would we recognize a bully what does that look like
2: yeah, and there's there's some real obvious ones. I mean, somebody who is shaming um, of their employees and 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 doing so publicly. So if somebody doesn't meet expectations. Of course, it's not bullying to give somebody feedback um, and let them know how they can improve. That's actually a highly supportive leader. But somebody who does so in a way that that is shaming the employee and also potentially does that publicly, so the employee can feel diminished in the eyes of their coworkers. Um, that is really uh, bullying type behavior. Also. Um, micromanaging can rise to can be a contributor to bullying because if somebody is always on top of their employees and and not demonstrating trust so you know messaging them all the time calling them um, getting frustrated when they're not at their desk for example so the employee feels like they're sort of bound and have to do everything exactly as their leader wants um, that can actually be a form of bullying because the employee will become very insecure um, feeling that they're not trusted and that they need to do everything a specific way or it might result in this shaming um, that can happen, and of course, you know, just just using toxic behaviors like like yelling at people can can be extremely um, dysfunctional and and really damaging to an employee's performance and is is uh, bullying. There's no reason for there to be uh, yelling in the work environment.
1: Mm-hmm. A couple things come to mind as you've been talking, Melanie. Um, one, I, as I said, I've worked with, I, you know, I had, I've had i had people call me and say, gosh, I really need your help. I've got this one employee and gosh, you know, just just causes everybody to have their hair and the, their, their, their neck stand up and I don't know what to do about it. And so part of what I've discovered is that we, what part of what contributes to the problem, I think, and I'd love for you to weigh in on this, is people don't know how to communicate that that behavior is not acceptable. So they we haven't learned how to address that Hard, big elephant in the room problem. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing, right? And 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 therefore we haven't we haven't communicated that it's not it's not won't be tolerated and that there are consequences to it. Yes. What would you, what would you say to? I, the I totally. Problem.
2: Um, so there, there's a couple issues there. Like for one, I, I think in general, uh, it's difficult giving feedback. It's difficult going. Mm-hmm. into Mm -hmm. Um, that their behavior is damaging, uh, potentially damaging to the work environment and their coworkers. Um, so, So I think a lot of people avoid giving that kind of feedback. And the danger in that is that, like I said, sometimes people don't realize, like if somebody doesn't have a high level of emotional intelligence, they may not realize that their behavior actually is damaging to people. Right right but we really do need to be giving that kind of feedback and actually giving people an opportunity so even out of kindness giving the person using that behavior the opportunity to correct it um, mm. they may they may not know Um, And also, you know, then this also ties back to organizations having really clear values and ensuring that they live by them and when behaviors are outside of that value system, um, that there are uh, repercussions or feedback given. Um, Many organizations have values, but they just sort of go up on a wall and and there really isn't any work putting in to ensure that they're lived in the company. But Mm -hmm. that is a clear way to demonstrate to people what behavior is um, acceptable within the company and what isn't is highlighting those values and showing what that looks like like and what it doesn't
1: mm-hmm you brought up something really important that I want to drill down on just for a second here a little bit further and that is um, that thing about being it's hard to, to give you know feedback especially constructive feedback when when something's not going well it is hard to do that and the best way to prepare for that is to is to develop competency which is training and practice right mm-hmm. I have, I've had the um, tremendous privilege Melanie over the years to work with um, you know, in my, my leadership programs, invariably, I'll be working one-on-one with the leaders as well to give them some coaching too, and I work with some amazing leaders who over the years have told me stories that when they've given feedback to employees, especially employees that were demonstrating, you know, destructive behaviors that were actually, could be career limiting, that, you know, here they are 10, 20 years into their career, this, these people, and this manager has had, developed the ability to be able to communicate tough stuff. And they deliver this message that says, you know, here are the things that are derailing you. This is what's getting in the way of you being promoted, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And this person is 10 to 20 years in their career. And and they'll say, you are the first person to ever tell me that. Mm -hmm. So everybody else gave us us a pass, which is not a service
2: to anybody. no, and I agree. But I've seen the same thing. I mean, it, it's actually quite rare to see a performance review that has, you know, truly constructive feedback in it. Um, it. We, in general, you know, we seem to have a hard time giving that. And and I've I've gotten my head around it by uh, realizing that, that 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 is how you help people. Um, you're mm-hmm. not helping somebody if you don't give them feedback um, that can help them improve their performance. And it doesn't have to be negative. Like as long right. as you're giving feedback with with the best of intentions and doing it in a way that's supportive, it actually doesn't have to land um, negatively if you can develop that a trusting relationship with your employees
1: hmm yeah the intention is so important right you they, they will smell your intention before they ever hear your, your message yeah agreed yeah so that's such an important thing to, to, to bring home here as we talk about you know insecurity in the workplace toxicity in the workplace being able to develop you know good communication trust uh, d- emotional intelligence, all these things can make such a difference. And then really, if we can borrow a little bit of your sensitivity intelligence to be aware of what's going on in the organization, listen and feel the vibe what makes such a difference
2: yeah it absolutely and it, you know it's it's not easy like it, it is difficult today we're all under so much pressure and busy and as leaders it can be difficult to not become you know have those blinders on so you don't see but but tying it back to the overall performance of your team and, and realizing that if you do those things and you develop those relationships your team will actually
1: perform better hmm hmm absolutely Mm-hmm. On that note, let's grab our last break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Melanie Pump. She's the author of Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. We've been talking about the talk, how toxicity uh, impacts organizational performance. After the break, we're going to get into how can we actually create a psychologically
0: safe workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us. Welcome back to Working On Purpose. One other bit of news I want to share with you before we get back into the program is the anthology that I've been curating has just been released last fall. It's a collection of 25 stories from women across the world who share their intimate stories of finding their purpose and what they're now doing to serve from it. I'm so proud of it I could bust. It's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mightily to live their purpose. It's on Amazon, and now I'm out there on the hunt for men to share their stories. If you know anyone who has a story about discovering their purpose and serving from it and happens to be of the male variety, I'd love to hear from you. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Melanie Pump. She's the Chief Financial Officer of Brain Capital, a trusted independent partner for digital asset custody, and the author of Detox, Managing Insecurity in the Workplace. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for this next segment here, let's let's I always like to be able to end on a high note and also give some tools to be able to address what we've been talking about. So now We're going to focus on some ways to create a psychologically safe workplace. So um, uh, let's talk through a few of them. Um, First here, um, I've got a list of easily six or seven that I want to at least get you to to address. The first one, of course, is the tone from the top is important.
2: Yes, and we've we, you know we've all heard that before, but I you know it's worth mentioning again because it is so critically important. Um, the leader at the top of the organization believing in the power of a healthy work environment and understanding um, how that will actually help the business grow and and reach success is critically important because what they do, uh, their behaviors, sets the tone for the whole organization and flows down. It's just like we talked about. Um, you know, to- toxicity spreads toxicity. Positivity spreads positivity as well. And if you have that coming down from the very top of the organization, uh, it, it's really going to be powerful for the, for
1: the organization. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that. Uh, I like this one a lot. You talk about the importance of accepting and even celebrating failures, bad mm-hmm. ideas and mistakes. I completely agree with that.
2: Yeah, ex- exactly. Because what we don't want is an environment where people are afraid to put up their hand when something's gone wrong um, or afraid when they have a, a, a to say an idea when they have one. You know, ultimately, sometimes um, really, really amazing ideas start out as really bad ideas. So you want an environment where people are comfortable on um, bringing those up. So, you know, and one of the most powerful ways to do this is for leaders themselves to talk about their own mistakes and even, you know, some of the their areas of weaknesses as well, you know, showing it is okay to be vulnerable mm-hmm. um, often you know a founder story for example could have mistakes that happened along the way before they found success so building those kinds of things into the story is a really good way of demonstrating that the organization knows that sometimes you need to make a mistake in order to ultimately find success so mm-hmm. ways that, a, that a, a company can show that and demonstrate it to their team can really shift the tone so people start to realize that it's okay um, if they're if they're not perfect all the time none of us are uh, not even any leader.
1: Yeah, for sure. Then another another piece of advice that you offer is to value diversity and to promote an inclusive environment. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because a sense of belonging is so important for us to feel insecure. Um, if somebody feels like they're not part of the you know the right group or didn't go to the right school or uh, doesn't have the right pedigree, um, that's just gonna that's just gonna make them feel insecure in the environment. And any form of insecurity, whether it comes from something in our past or something that we're actually doing with our job, can start to to build up those defense mechanisms. So we want to ensure there's a sense of belonging and
1: that nobody feels excluded in the workplace. Mm-hmm. My next one, I've really got some energy around. You talk about the importance of modernizing the human resource function. Yes, Please stat yesterday, please. Yeah,
2: and, and and I've seen the you know so I've worked in organizations with with uh, uh, where they really pri- prioritize the HR department. And of course, nowadays we call it people and performance or various other things, but but most of us still uh, recognize it as HR. But it is so important, and if an organization doesn't um, invest in their HR team, that is essentially sending a message to the company that that people don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not prioritizing the culture. Um, certainly not every organization is of the size where they can have an HR department, but you can still have somebody that that is responsible for the culture and ensuring that employees feel valued and so and having a leader at the table whose priority the culture is um, is critically important.
1: Yeah, and I want to distinguish, you know, what I what I mean by this too is you know, it's you're you not just a focus on process and procedures, but what is the heartbeat of the organization? How are you stewarding the culture of the organization, not writing people up for you know when they make right. a kind of thing,
2: yeah. Um, that, the old school,
1: the, yeah old yeah. school, right? So I want to make sure that we that you understand what we, what we mean by by um, modernizing the HR function because it may not mm-hmm. be obvious if it's not your space. Yes, yeah. so.
2: there's the old, and it still does exist in many companies today. That sort of old school HR, where the HR person was only responsible for hiring and firing um, and and filling out documentation that right. changes along the way. Uh, whereas today, you know, in a in a modern uh, human resource department. Uh, the human resource employees are responsible for helping leaders grow and ensuring right. the organization is structured properly, and and that they're maximizing and helping employees reach their full potential.
1: Yeah, that's it. Great way to distinguish it, Melanie. And then this next one that you talk about, which is critical here, establishing uh, mm-hmm. a, a process to address harmful behaviors, really mm-hmm. important because you right. know we are going to come up, right, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. We're going to
2: come and, 100% right because even um, even the best people sometimes um, can all of a sudden start displaying harmful behavior like I I do talk about this in the book you know things happen in life where all of a sudden we're not sleeping and therefore right. our, our, t- our temper our fuse becomes really short right. um, and if somebody doesn't let you know if your leader doesn't let you know you may not be aware as we've talked about of the impact that can be having on your on your co right. So you know addressing harmful behaviors doesn't have to mean that somebody is given a reprimand and let go it can just mean that you're in an organization where it becomes normal to give feedback when somebody is using a behavior um, that is not healthy for for the work environment or using a behavior that doesn't align with the values Um, and a company that does that that's going to set a tone across the company and people are going to know what's acceptable and and what isn't.
1: Mm -hmm. So it becomes a teaching not a punishing
2: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. At least, at least to start with, obviously, if if people don't um, adjust their behaviors so it right. aligns with what with what is acceptable in that organization, more change may be required. But certainly, as a starting point, unless somebody, of course, is aggressively bullying or, right. or really damaging the work environment for someone, that's a different story. Um, but generally, you want to be able to start by
1: giving people the opportunity uh, to change their behavior and, and improve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last one I wanted to talk about here that you mentioned in your book is establishing a mental health committee. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and this is this is new, new-er, we're starting to see it more, um, I, you know, I can go back 20 years and, and we've always had health and safety committees, um, even in offices where there was almost no danger of anybody actually hurting themselves, um, but we didn't focus on mental health, which is really where there's greater dangers in many corporate environments, um, so today you're starting to see more of these health committees making mental health uh, part of their mandate, or actually creating a whole separate mental health uh, committee, which can be very useful, especially over the past couple of years when we had the pandemic and mental health was even more important that a company was ensuring that they thought about uh, their employees and how they can support them uh, from a mental health perspective during challenging times.
1: Yeah, it strikes me as just another level, like a different focus Another, you know, the leaders are trying to champion the organization forward, but if you have a committee focused on mental health, they can start to notice, did you know that Sarah's been coming in late the last two weeks? What's interesting? That's, that's not like her. Well, you know? it
2: normalizes it. Like it, it, it makes it something that you're allowed to talk about rather than right. health being a, being a taboo topic. Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, I really got present to this too, Melanie, during the pandemic, because the work that I do, especially as an organizational logotherapist, I, that's the meaning piece of it. Um, I, it does address well-being, and I knew how important that is. And so anyway, so that's part of what I also address um, sort of indirectly in the work that I do as well. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about here is your whole chapter eight is focused on strategies to reduce workplace uncertainty, mm-hmm. and I think you have got some really interesting points here that I think are, are, are we, we want to celebrate with our with our listeners and viewers. And the first one, of course, is smack down my language. I love establish an authentic company identity. So with mm-hmm. a clear vision and a clear mission, absolutely agree. Right. Say more about that.
2: Yeah, and you know, somebody might look at this and go, well, "What does that have to do with with insecurity?" But, but the reason is, is you know, one thing that will make us feel insecure is feeling un, is feeling a high level of uncertainty. So, if we don't know uh, what our what our company is doing, what its mission is, how it's actually working towards achieving that, that's going to unsettle an employee and make them feel insecure. Because how do they know that they're contributing to the to the vision and mission um, and that their job is safe if they are not even clear on what it is? And, And most companies have a mission vision, but maybe they're not revisiting it as often as they should or reminding people of what it is or actually speaking to employees about how they're working towards achieving it and where they are in that path to achieve it. Mm -hmm. Um, So bringing employees essentially into the fold and making sure there's a clear understanding uh, across the organization of what the vision is can really help to establish certainty, which is developing just a base level of security across your organization that, okay, people know what's going on. And that gives them some some security.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know in the work that I do, melanie, because I, I I go into companies and I help uh, oftentimes it's 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 interviews or surveys asking you know various questions about what is the purpose of this organization. And when you get things like, "I don't know," Mm-hmm. or I think it's this right so there's an right. opportunity to kind of educate that and, and then when when they when they are on the same page we take it to the next level way past insecurity and now we're connected the, yeah. you know, the, the buzz in the organization they're part of something bigger than themselves Absolutely.
2: and, and that leads to you know a greater performance people reaching their full potential and it sounds like such an obvious thing but but one thing that i've that I have seen happen is sometimes leaders um, just because the leader has it in their head they know what the m- mission and vision is so they just assume that everybody else does right yeah yeah, because it's just it's just simple of course everybody knows that but really there can be nuances that are missed or or you know emphasis that needs to be had so communicating that probably more regularly than than what leaders may actually think they need to um is valuable
1: yeah. And then let's not forget this little thing here uh, in this great resignation. People are changing jobs so the likelihood that you've got some new people on your team is very high as you've had to replace those who went out the door. It's exactly. they need, they need to be educated and brought into the fold. Yeah. So, yeah. And,
2: and that's the onboarding. Like that's actually another really great point, too, is making sure that you're when people are being onboarded, that they're being these things are being shared with them and that they're understanding, you know, and, and onboarding is something that I've seen, you know, often not done very well or it doesn't get quite the attention that it needs because we're all so busy. Uh, but really, ensuring when a company, when somebody joins a company, they understand what that company is about, um, will, will really pay off.
1: Mm-hmm. And you did mention already, you know, the the importance of um, establishing corporate values and living them, and that's definitely mm-hmm. an important part to be, you know, I, actually in the work that I do with clients, we socialize that even when we're recruiting, of course, to make sure that there's an alignment there. But. Um, The other thing that you talk about that's really critical too uh, in terms of reducing workplace uncertainty is ensuring that company objectives and individual goals are actually achievable and aligned. Mm
2: Yeah. And so these are communicating, them, giving people, you know, for one, some certainty that they know what the corporate objectives are along with their individual objectives and also how what they're doing is going to support the achievement of those ultimate, ultimate corporate objectives. Mm-hmm. So for somebody to feel safe in their job, they do need to understand how, why they're needed. Yeah. So being able to align and, and, you know, and every department in a company is needed, but to be able to just demonstrate as, as to why. I mean, the example I use in the book is finance because I am in finance. Oh, Somebody, you know, chipping away paying bills in finance um, may not always be able to connect um, to the corporate objectives, but, but they really do. If, if a company's brand is really important, for example, ensuring that vendors are treated well and that uh, bills are paid on time can be really important to maintaining that, that healthy brand. So just making some simple connections so each people underst- each person understands how they contribute to the company's overall objectives.
1: Mm -hmm. And, of course, I I completely align with that, too, with my work in in, um, meaning and purpose as well. We're coming close to the end of time here. I want to ask you a couple more things here. Um, Can you just speak to maybe just a couple ideas about how to create psychologically healthy leadership?
2: Yeah. So a big a lot of this does come back to recruitment um, and making sure that you're really being thoughtful on of uh, the people that you bring onto the team um, and ensuring that we talk about values, um, making sure that there's values alignment with with each person that joins your team. Skill is is obviously important, but if you want a cohesive, health, healthy leadership team, it needs to be people who who will walk um, the values that you want within your organization. Um, leaders are looked to for those to who model behavior, so you want to ensure you bring the right people on the team. Um, and then when they're there, um, also supporting them to ensure that they feel secure um, in their roles. And some ways that I've seen this really uh, can work well is having coaching. Not every leader needs coaching, um, mm-hmm. but there certainly is times when they're going through something difficult and maybe trying some, something they haven't before. Um, having some outside counsel can really be helpful. Um, and also for leadership teams in general, um, I've seen a lot of success uh, with facilitation and and in, ensuring that when a meeting is held, um, they come away with powerful results and that people are connected. And this can happen much more when there's facilitators helping support a leadership team uh, to communicate and and connect and create a psychologically safe work environment.
1: Yeah, helping to steward that, that. I do a lot of that kind of work, I completely agree. As a third party, there's so much that I can do to help steward that, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, we have a whole chapter about helping to develop secure leader-employee relationships. I just want to reference that we we can't get into it at this conversation, but I want to make sure that you that the, our listeners and viewers know that you've also addressed that as well. Some really powerful stuff in there. Um, as you know, Melanie, this show is listened to listened to by people across the world. Um, what would you like to leave them with?
2: I think you know one point that we touched on already is is. Um, trying, if, if there's somebody in your organization that isn't behaving in a way that, that that you think is correct for the company, give them an opportunity. Consider that it may be because of, for one, something that's happening in their own life, or maybe they're feeling insecure in that work environment. And so before you know, deciding that somebody is a poor performer, um, look around and see if there's something you can do to support them, if there may be something that's triggering that behavior, and if the organization can make a change to help that employee be successful. I do ultimately believe that we all have talents and and we just need to be in the
1: right environment to, to help that talent come through. Beautiful way to finish, Melanie. Thank you. I'm so glad I found you. You are now in the fold. And I appreciate being connected to you. Thank you so much for yes, sharing so much your, for me. your heart, your soul, and your book. Thank you. Listen, listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Melanie Pump or her book, you can go to a couple of places. You can go to her website. It's MelaniePump.com. It's M-E-L-A-N-I-E pump.com, but better yet, go to LinkedIn and look her up there, Melanie Pump on LinkedIn. That's the best way to reach her. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via re- recorded podcast. We were on the air with Lori Van, talking about the importance of stewarding well-being in the workplace. She taught us that many millennials are especially out to change jobs in search of employers who care about their well-being. Quite a quite an interesting aspect of the workplace to consider in this employee-driven marketplace. Next week, we'll be on the air with Dr. Woody Woodward talking about the phenomenon that is perplexing so many companies today, the Great Resignation. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously. Leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.